Okay, today we're going to be discussing St. Gregory Palamas, who was a uh, Orthodox saint who lived in the mid-1300s, and the development of scholasticism, uh, which is the use of uh, philosophy as an authority in theology, uh, starting with the 11th century and going up into the 14th century. In this class, we're going to be discussing the end of the patristic period in the West and the struggle uh, to maintain uh, the faith of the patristic period in the East. And this struggle took part, place over several hundred years in the East, and in many respects we could say it continues till today. But uh, Gregory Palamas will be a focus of ours because he in particular articulates the orthodox uh, rejection of scholasticism. One of the most useful books for uh, studying this contrast between uh, the preservation of patristic thought in the East, uh, such as in Gregory Palamas, with the uh, gradual change in religious thought in the West uh, and the development of what we call scholasticism is uh, Aristides Papadakis The Christian East and the Rise of the Papacy published by St. Vladimir Seminary Press the uh, kind of standard book for the study of Gregory Palamas would be uh, Father John Meyendorf's uh, study of Gregory Palamas also published by St. Vladimir's Press he also has another book called uh, St. Gregory Palamas and Orthodox Spirituality and also there's a number of other authors who've written about St. Gregory Palamas Gregory Palamas' own writings are available in the uh, Philokalia and <coughs> in uh, the Paulus Press has reprinted the Triads which is his main work um in defense of uh, the vision of God or the accessibility of God by prayer against um, the Barlam of Calabria and which representing uh, one form of, of the Western scholastic view, particularly a nominalist view. Uh, the patristic uh, background to the theology of St. Gregory Palamas is uh, kind of clearly laid out in a book by Vladimir Lasky called The Vision of God and this has also uh, now been reprinted by uh, St. Vladimir Seminary Press uh, another book that's very useful for this period as a kind of background would be uh, Father John Meyendorf's uh, book Byzantine Theology published by Fordham University Press uh, and there's a uh, study that was it was done as a doctoral dissertation on this period uh, that's also it would be very useful if you're able to get a hold of it and that is uh, the book Polemism and Church Tradition which was by uh, Professor Joost van Rossum and that was done in 1985 Scholasticism in a broad sense resulted from the founding of schools after the Muslim invasions um, starting in the west with the reign of Charlemagne <coughs> and developing into the early Middle Ages <coughs> particularly <coughs> in the 11th century the <coughs> revival of classical learning and the study of Greek uh, pagan philosophy created the temptation to use this philosophy to reinterpret um, the way that Christians looked at uh, traditional th Christian theology. In the East, the uh, uh, Greek philosophical inheritance was more constantly present, and, so, and in some ways Christian theology had <coughs> developed there um, 
in reaction to Greek philosophy. In the West, uh, St. Augustine, uh, living in the uh, early 400s, had begun the process of creating theology divorced from tradition and uh, using a philosophical method. A, a good example of this would be his work on the Trinity, which diver diverges markedly from traditional uh, Christian Trinitarian theology, precisely because it uses a almost wholly philosophical outlook. You can also see this in uh, Augustine's anti-Pelagian writings, where he often uh, uses philosophical arguments against the traditional Christian positions, uh, stressing uh, the free will and asceticism, and uh, the um, more traditional view of, of the fall. With <coughs> Augustine becoming such a major figure in the medieval West, this tendency to use philosophy in theology um, is perhaps a stronger one than it was in the in the East. Nevertheless, in the 11th century, we have a uh, common phenomenon of um, philosophy, particularly Aristotelian philosophy, uh, being used as a uh, alternative means of viewing Christian theology and um, challenges coming to traditional Christian views from uh, the use of philosophical uh, presuppositions and methods. <coughs> In the East, these views were almost universally rejected uh, during the time of the Komneni emperors uh, in the 11th and 12th century. There are approximately 25 cases of, of heresy that were condemned that relate to this phenomenon of um, the intrusion of, of uh, secular Greek philosophy into theology. The most famous case would be that of John Italos, who was a, uh, the head of the School of Philosophy in Constantinople. John introduced a number of originistic Platonic uh, doctrines c coming from Greek philosophy and, s and uses Greek philosophy as an independent source of truth when discussing theology. John's positions were at first rejected without him being uh, condemned by name in 1076 and 77 and then later uh, he was condemned personally in 1082 problem continued with one of John's disciples, uh, Eustratius of Nicaea, who uh, used, was a commentator on Aristotle, who used Aristotle's views to reject the co-eternity of the Trinity based on logic. Uh, this was, he was condemned in the Council of Constantinople in the year 1117. This shows that um, let's say this, this sort of scholastic interest in um, Aristotelian and, and Platonic philosophy um, did exist in the East and did attempt to and did lead people to attempt to um, modify traditional Christian theology based on philosophy but the Christian Church in the East uh, consistently rejected this, and this was in continuation of perhaps the whole patristic tradition, where there's always was the temptation, perhaps, to introduce <coughs> ideas of, of Plato, such as with Origen, and <coughs> the Church in the East had a long history of having to battle against this temptation and and, re and rejecting it. <coughs> in the West similar temptations uh, came about in the 11th century. You have uh, some uh, philosophers who uh, 
who attempt to uh, change Christian doctrine through the use of philosophy, one of these Berengar of Tours, who was uh, controversial and, and uh, attacked often between the years uh, 1054 and 1089 for his criticism of the doctrine of transubstantiation based on uh, dialectic, and also uh, Abelard, later who died in 1142, um, was often criticized and attacked uh, for his, again for the use of philosophy in a way that seemed to undermine the traditional Christian theology. <coughs> One of the differences between East and West, however, was that in the West, <coughs> Berengar and, and, um, and Abelard uh, received some support, and the uh, process of, of using uh, philosophy in theology was not uh, totally condemned, although these uh, individual teachers were attacked, but they also enjoyed support. Um, uh, Berengar was supported by Hildebrand, one of the uh, architects of the new papal monarchy. Uh, it was one of the group of cardinals that had been installed in Rome by Emperor Henry III as, as uh, and beginning of the reform papacy or monarchical papacy which quickly broke away from the orthodox church and began to make massive changes in the whole uh, fabric of, of Christian life in the west and part of these changes perhaps was the uh, great, greater uh, attention given to to philosophy as, as a means of, of Doing theology, and in any case, it's with this it's with this uh, change in the Western Church life uh, in the papacy and uh, many other aspects of the church life that uh, <coughs> scholasticism begins to become a force in the West <coughs> to change the way that theology is approached. <coughs> this part of the success of of scholasticism in the West was due to the fact that it was not only uh, promoted by, uh, let's say, controversial people who were questioning accepted doctrine, but also by uh, philosophers who were trying to defend uh, what would have seemed like uh, the Western theology. One of these was Anselm of Canterbury. He was a uh, Lombard from northern Italy who went to Normandy to study and then as a result of the Norman conquest <coughs> he ultimately became the Archbishop of Canterbury in 1093 <coughs> Anselm was very much a defender of the of the new uh, papal monarchy and uh, took part in the investiture controversy in uh, Defending the the new uh, proposals of the of the popes that that only the pope should approve of uh, investitures of, of bishops and not and not the kings as had been done before. As a result, he was lived in um, exile from his his see for a large part of his his uh, bishopric. But and uh, he was uh, very highly regarded within the Western Church. He wrote several works of theological importance. One was the Prosologion, which was an attempt to prove the existence of God from reason alone. And his other significant book was Cur Deus Homo, or Why Did God Become Man, which was an attempt to create an explanation for, for the incarnation and the atonement through again, uh, strictly a, a kind of logical argument. Uh, in particular, this one uh, sort of helped to de define a, a really uh, new and uh, radically different view <coughs> of Christ's death and 
and the work of, of the Christ upon the cross that uh, influenced Western theology for some time. His idea was that uh, that the uh, sin of Adam had had caused had uh, and sort of infinite uh, affront to God's honor because God is infinitely honorable and and the disobedience of Adam required um, the punishment of an infinitely good person in order to satisfy God's infinite wrath and that when this was done Christ's uh, Christ's death uh, provided an infinite amount of merit by which Christians were able to be saved this reliance on uh, say a logical argument kind of creates a, a view of uh, of God and a view of, of salvation which is completely divorced and, uh, from Christian tradition and uh, of course the teachings of scripture and the, and the church fathers the however because uh, Anselm was a kind of defender of the current uh, Western theology, and as also partly at, in uh, the Council of Bari, where he defends the filioque uh, based on philosophy f- against the Orthodox Church, um, because it was one of the things the new papacy had done is when uh, the German bishops were installed by the Emperor Henry, they introduced the, the uh, addition to the creed of the filioque which we had discussed earlier adding the words and the son uh, to the creed where it says the Holy Spirit has proceeded from the father <coughs> and so it, it was uh, his uh, use of philosophy also was kind of justifying this change in traditional Christian theology that was being made by the popes as they uh, took control in this case the the German popes taking control of the western uh, church (coughs) and this Anselm and several others who uh, used philosophy in defense of the uh, church leadership at that time gave this use uh, credibility and in the west and this is why in the (coughs) middle ages this um, this use of, of philosophy as a as a source of uh, confirmation for theology <coughs> becomes accepted and, and in fact becomes the dominant form of theology in the West in the 11th and 12th centuries <coughs> it's this change as so much that happened at this time with uh, of course the change in the papacy had had caused a schism with the Orthodox Church Um, but this change in the approach to theology um, is perhaps an even more decisive uh, kind of split uh, in Christianity Uh, in the West we could say that the Orthodox uh, patristic period uh, comes to an end in, in the 11th century and that here in the east uh, orthodoxy is is now fighting uh, for its survival against an alien uh, theological system that uh, theological system very much has shaped the the uh, theology of the modern world and is largely responsible for why <coughs> orthodoxy in the modern world uh, seems so so foreign because orthodoxy is, is in a way a relic of the Christian thinking <coughs> of the first millennium <coughs> and it's um, it's a living relic but it is uh, in some ways uh, to us in the west particularly it seems a very foreign and exotic type of Christianity and type of theology because uh, we have grown up <coughs> in a in a worldview that has been formed by scholasticism and the developments that come from it.
As I had mentioned earlier, um, in the West, as in the East, there was a certain amount of struggle against the effects of this uh, greater prominence of, of pagan philosophy. Uh, Bernard of Clairvaux had sort of led the struggle against Abelard, arguing that our knowledge of God is based on our love of him. In some ways, uh, something very similar to what was preserved in the East, a, a kind of uh, inner relationship with God, rather than one dependent on f philosophy. Uh, part of another part of the West resistance was that when the works of Aristotle began to be uh, translated into Latin from Arabic uh, in Spain, the uh, authorities of the church tried to prevent uh, their, their study to, to somehow try to hold back the influence of Aristotle in, in the 13th century. However, this uh, attempt was somewhat vain as the uh, works of Aristotle were translated and were being brought into, the, into France. <coughs> so ultimately, the, the West had to deal with, with these works. Aristotle had been partly available in the West due to uh, the translations of Boethius. But during the 13th century, the uh, very large group of Aristotle's writings uh, became available through the work of uh, Muslim philosophers, uh, particularly Averroes, who died in 1198, who used the uh, writings of Aristotle to develop the, the doctrine of two truths that um, that the human reason <coughs> was capable of, of reaching truth through philosophy but that this truth was completely divorced from religious truth which was um, kind of accepted on faith and was not, um, say, provable by human reason or experience. When Aristotle's works were first being brought into uh, to Europe from Spain, it was um, primarily through the uh, translations of, of the writings of Averroes and so this uh, doctrine of, of heroism or of two truths became a, a, a threat to um, Christianity in the 13th century and there was an attempt to uh, turn this back uh, by this, some scholastic authors uh, Albert of Kern and, or Albertus Magnus and uh, Thomas Aquinas were part of this attempt to harmonize um, Aristotle with Christianity and to show that uh, human reason could uh, substantiate the teachings of the church. Um, what they were trying to to Avoid was a, a sort of skepticism that would come about from saying, "Well, the teachings of the church have uh, are you know not able to be supported by any human knowledge or the, or by human reason." And so they created an elaborate system to make uh, uh, to show how human reason could uh, bring one to the to the uh, teachings of the Christian faith and in another way to perhaps transform the Christian faith into uh, conformity to the system of Aristotle. This uh, was kind of occupied uh, much of the, th of the 13th century. Uh, Thomas Aquinas living from 1225 to 1274. Later 
this work in the uh, 14th century, this work was questioned by the nominalists uh, such as William of Ockham and uh, Duns Scotus who were Franciscans uh, William of Ockham living in 1330 well, and 1340 being his most active period um, in the, during in fact the William of Ockham being really contemporary with uh, St. Gregory Palamas <coughs> and their uh, position was that that actually the uh, teachings of Christianity were beyond uh, human reason and therefore had to be accepted by faith alone this uh, struggle within the West in a way seems to pit uh, you know, a very different groups of people against each other uh, the Averroists the uh, let's say the realists and the uh, the nominalists all seeming to have very you know different opinions about Aristotle however in some ways they are uh, all very similar in comparison with uh, the Eastern Church in that they accept certain basic presuppositions of Aristotle which make them all uh, alien to the approach of the uh, Orthodox Church and and also to the early Christian heritage. The basic uh, presupposition of of Aristotle, which they share, <coughs> is that there is a sort of impassable barrier between man and God, and that this impassable barrier has to do with man living within the material world. For Aristotle, a man's uh, life in this world is uh, limits him to knowledge through his senses and knowledge through human reason. When this is applied to theology, it means that our knowledge of God can only come through the exercise of senses and, and reason, um, although we may accept certain things by by faith but uh, our ability to directly know things is only based on these other things uh, reason and, and, and the senses uh, in some cases this uh, people use this idea of natural theology which is that by observing the world around us our our observation of the world plus our reason allows us to draw conclusions about God <coughs> which are true and so we have a certain uh, intellectual knowledge of God from just the world <coughs> the main portion of Christian theology however becomes attached to uh, what were called created authorities uh, that is um, revelations sent down to us by God <coughs> to reveal himself to us chief among these would be the scriptures others would be perhaps considered um, church pronouncements or writings of the of fathers or decisions of councils and these kind of are created by God and sent down to us uh, in the material world so that we can study them and come to the knowledge a certain knowledge of God now this knowledge uh, necessarily is an intellectual knowledge not uh, about God, not a direct uh, knowledge of God. This um, is responsible for the movement in the Middle Ages uh, affecting us still today of thinking of theology primarily in terms of academic study and certain uh, cases we see that uh, great theologians are really uh, kind of defined as, as great uh, scholars and academics and the spiritual aspect of their life uh, seems to be uh, completely left out or even considered completely unimportant in, in being a theologian uh, 
the uh, uh, church services begin to emphasize more the uh, education and that's why in modern Protestant churches you see the church building has uh, pews where you, you sit and and the pulpit in the center where uh, the minister instructs and so the the church worship service largely is been is transformed into a classroom uh, setting into a, into a, into a class in co- contrast this with let's say the traditional christian service of a preserved in the orthodox church uh, where there were no pews uh, there where people stood for the service that there was is a sermon but it's relatively short in relation to the service as a whole in the orthodox church the focus is on the worship of god and this comes from a theology which believes in the direct the direct communication and interaction between god and man in the west where the knowledge of god becomes confined to academic study um, it makes sense uh, for more of the uh, worship time to be gradually turned over to instruction this is one change that's brought about by the adoption of sort of an Aristotelian way of thinking we also have the uh, sort of change in relation to in the way society is looked at that man is seen increasingly as living in isolation in this world <coughs> the uh, author uh, Machiavelli in The Prince he describes the ideal prince in terms of his uh, utility in this world of, of managing people uh, rather than uh, in his relationship to God as we might in a more traditional sense uh, for instance if you looked at the lives of the saints and the way that uh, the early church viewed Christian rulers uh, the piety of the ruler certainly uh, would be a, a major factor in determining whether someone was a good ruler or not but in an Aristotelian world where uh, man's life becomes uh, self-contained in, in the material world the uh, relationship to God becomes of more remote importance. The uh, other, uh, well, I just to continue with this idea of the created authorities in the uh, Protestant Reformation, which will uh, begin in the 16th century, the number of authorities becomes reduced down to the scriptures, and so the study of the scripture becomes of all consuming importance in the Protestant world but then in modern times when the uh, let's say authority of the scripture becomes questioned (coughs) then uh, we are the kind of basis for a knowledge of God in this world is undermined and we are left in the west with perhaps the predominant uh, theological position of today which is agnosticism not rejection of God as such but simply uh, based on the theological principles of, of, of scholasticism adopted in the middle ages when we say the only God, the knowledge of God is only available through authorities and we've eliminated uh, most of those authorities and we, and we have now questions about uh, the reliability of the of what we have left, then our own theological system requires us to be, become uh, a skeptic and to not uh, uh, affirm any definite knowledge of God. This uh, development has affected much of the world, but uh, it happens because of a series of of choices theological choices that take place in the west and are alien to uh, the patristic church which was preserved in the eastern uh, empire
another uh, let's say construct of, of scholasticism is the idea of created grace there obviously uh, in Christian history is, is some kind of uh, God having some kind of effect upon people uh, and the uh, scriptures speak of grace and the way that this is understood in the scholastic model is that grace is something uh, created by God to have an effect on human beings who are um, Christians in this case uh, we can see in, in the kind of later Roman Catholic Church where there's still a uh, acceptance of of uh, mysticism of a type the, that the that this mysticism becomes divorced from theology and in fact becomes sort of trivialized because the mystical experience of, of the saint is not an experience of God but is an experience of a created phenomenon that God provides um, this phenomenon indicates that the saint is a special person but it does not um, doesn't give the saint any actual uh, direct knowledge of God and so the knowledge of God which uh, kind of is the foundation of the church must find its its uh, its kind of foundation not in not in the mysticism of the saint but rather in the academic study of the scholar and this is really uh, affected let's say the modern Catholic world but in also it's uh, affected pro uh, Protestantism because in the Protestant world uh, asceticism and monasticism were seen as unimportant precisely for this reason that they didn't uh, bring one closer to God they perhaps provided some religious experience but but it's strictly in the study of this uh, created authority the, the scriptures that true knowledge of God is only available so uh, we can see how uh, the acceptance of a sort of Aristotelian model of the world uh, affected the Western Christian world in a way that makes it uh, very different and, and alien from uh, the traditional Christian world which pres was preserved in the East. In the East, the main objection to scholasticism is precisely this separation between man and God that is only uh, crossed by either created authorities or uh, created grace the eastern church continued to look at God as, as directly accessible to man spiritually and we'll see that uh, in the conflict that uh, comes about between uh, Gregory Palamas and a representative of Western scholasticism that the two issues <coughs> of the say theological knowledge of God and the spiritual knowledge of God become uh, are closely linked <coughs> in 1330 <coughs> uh, Barlam of, of Calabria comes from southern Italy to Constantinople in order to study uh, pagan Greek philosophy he uh, becomes the agumen of a, a monastery in Constantinople and he writes commentaries on the works of uh, pseudo Dionysius of the Areopagite <coughs> in, uh, because uh, Dionysius writes about uh, let's say this kind of uh, negative theology or what's called apophatic theology it's a very um, curious thing that uh, that Dionysius is interpreted uh, in so many different ways at this time reflecting really different uh, points of view and Thomas Aquinas' uh, 
discussions of Dionysius, he sees his negative theology as a logical method of of neg- uh, a kind of dialectic of negations, which make a sort of rational theological uh, statements about God using the uh, sort of negative approach. <coughs> Di- uh, Barlam, coming more from the nominalist uh, camp of Western scholasticism, um, he <coughs> thinks of Dionysius as more rejecting um, any kind of uh, knowledge of God at all, uh, particularly or of theology. Uh, in, in a way, a kind, a kind of uh, agnosticism. For Gregory Palamas, uh, the uh, mystical theology of of uh, Dionysius is not. It does he does see it as a rejection of the value of rational uh, uh, reasoning in in coming to a a true knowledge of God, but uh, he doesn't interpret it. So he he sees it as not just another rational method, but saying that the rational methods are insufficient in agreeing with Barlam there, but goes on to see it as a, a spiritual, that the spiritual knowledge of God is possible, which surpasses um, the abilities of the human reason. So it's appears uh, in in the the uh, there are different approaches to Dionysius, uh, these three different theological positions are are uh, kind of revealed. Anyway, Barlam comes to uh, the capital and he's uh, kind of a scholar and living in the monastery, and he's. Uh, kind of uh, sponsored by a very important person in the Byzantine government, John Cantacuzene, who was uh, kind of a, a patron of, of education and knowledge. Curiously, he's uh, the patron of almost all the people <laughs> that will be involved in the uh, the controversy that over uh, with he with uh, this. Theological questions. He, uh, Barlam and uh, Barlam's associate Akendinos, and also Gregory Palamas himself, whom they both were attacking. And then later uh, we'll talk about uh, the uh, Demetrius Kidonis, uh, uh, who was a Byzantine scholastic, is also uh, what, he was an official of of John Cantacuzenus' government when he later became emperor himself. So these uh, people, uh, at this time the the Byzantine Empire in the 1300s was a very small place uh, because of the conquests of the Turks and the effects of the earlier uh, Fourth Crusade which had reduced somewhat the western territories of the uh, the empire. The the people all know each other and are but but they still there is this uh, profound theological difference between the new um, kind of spiritual approach of scholasticism from the west and um, the ancient uh, patristic view of man uh, in com- being in communion with God the Origin of the controversy between Barlam and, and Gregory Palmas begins <coughs> with this question of, of uh, theology and uh, sort of how much can we know. At this time, the empire was uh, pressed by the Turks and various enemies, and because of the the uh, schism that had taken place. Uh, several hundred years earlier, the uh, the West uh, not only had uh, had not only attacked Constantinople in the Fourth Crusade, but was uh, 
was an enemy to the revived empire which had taken back uh, Constantinople in the end of the 13th century the <coughs> there were therefore discussions between the Byzantine Empire Byzantine Church and the West Western theologians uh, attempting to reach some kind of reconciliation uh, between the Byzantine Church and the Western Church uh, partly just as a means of survival for the Byzantine Empire because it was felt that by reaching a theological understanding that the West would then offer military help which would allow the Byzantine Empire to survive uh, Barlam coming from Italy was uh, allowed to participate in these discussions on behalf of the Byzantine Empire and he made the uh, suggestion that that because uh, God is unknowable and uh, that human reason is in kind of following a, a sort of nominal appro nominalist approach is incapable of of defining uh, the divine nature that both sides should just agree that whether or not the filioque was correct is is a uh, sort of unknowable problem and therefore they should just unite <coughs> on a sort of mutual agnosticism about this Gregory Palamas <coughs> who was a son of an imperial senator who had been educated in Constantinople but had got, become a monk and gone to live on Mount Athos at the time was engaged in writing a, a work against the filioque uh, attempting to prove that the filioque was incorrect and that the uh, original creed that the Holy Spirit proceeded from the Father was the uh, uh, true teaching of the Christian church when he heard about Baralam's line of argument that it was impossible to know whether the filioque was correct or not uh, he uh, questioned whether that was right and began to correspond with Baralam and, and also left Mount Athos to come live in Thessalonica to where he spent some time visiting with Baralam to try to convince him that this was not the, the right way to go um, Barlam was an important part person in the uh, Byzantine uh, capital and and, and his uh, position did not in any way detract from that he was sent on an embassy into Italy by the by the Pope he traveled to Naples and Paris and then went to Avignon where he also tried to get uh, Pope Benedict uh, to agree to a union based on this this agnosticism or the unknowability of whether the filioque was true or not and Avignon is a city in southern France where the popes had retreated to um, <coughs> the the schism with the west Excuse me. The schism of uh, the West with the Byzantine Church had occurred when German popes were installed by the German uh, Holy Roman Emperor Henry III. The the new monarchical papacy had struggled for supremacy against the German emperors, uh, and to a certain extent succeeded in destroying the unity of the imperial. Uh, German Empire in Italy uh, and as part of this process the uh, popes uh, looked to France as an ally against the German emperors and ultimately uh, there began to be French popes who did not feel safe living in imperial territory in Italy and, ult and ultimately fled to France uh, for the protection of the French king this all took place uh, after, after the schism the popes become increasingly uh, identified with a sort of secular struggle for power uh, in 
first as a kind of as a secular ruler within Italy, but then as a, a rival to the German emperors for the kind of supreme uh, authority over the Christian West. And of course, they also claimed it over the Christian East, which is what led to the schism. Anyway, Barlam goes there to try to convince the Pope to agree to union on this basis, and uh, he doesn't agree because he he feels that uh, that he knows that the filioque is correct, and so if uh, people in the East don't know, well, they should just accept the filioque. But uh, of course, Barlam's position is uh, a novel one coming out of this Western scholasticism was not held by the Orthodox Church. Following this embassy in 1339, the uh, conflict between Barlam and, and Gregory Palamas uh, becomes more intense. Partly, uh, it's, it's accelerated by Barlam himself, who sees <coughs> the monastic um, theology of the vision of God as uh, being incompatible with his scholastic view of the world and again this Aristotelian view of the world separates man from God and he uh, condemns the monks on Mount Athos and Gregory Palamas as heretics in a work that he writes called Against the Messalians in uh, defense uh, Gregory Palamas writes again his probably most important work the triads defending the uh, direct uh, ability of man to know God in this life and the vision of God the central issue about which they debate is the vision of God um, when Moses sees the burning bush when the apostles see the, trans, the transfiguration of Christ, the light shining from him. Uh, Barlam and Western scholasticism uh, argue that these that this light is a created phenomenon made by God to direct us our attention to uh, some divine revelation on earth. Uh, so Moses is directed to the bush by this fire and the apostles are direct, directed to listen to Christ. For Gregory Palamas and for the uh, Christian tradition uh, before this, the light seen by Moses and by the apostles is the light of the divine nature. In scholasticism, they argue from Aristotelian philosophy that uh, God is uh, is unified and also that he's not uh, not able to be seen in this material world the uh, patristic tradition does speak of God as being separate from us and Gregory Palamas uses the term in his essence that meaning uh, in, in himself he is unknowable but this unknowability is not because we are living currently in the material world. Uh, Thomas Aquinas, another scholastic author, argues that you that we can't know God in this life, we can't see him, but when we are die, then we'll have the vision of the divine essence. For Gregory Palamas, this is imp impossible that God in himself cannot be known by God, but God is seen by us, uh, through his self-revelation <coughs> and Gregory Palamas uses the term energies uh, or activities to um, <coughs> to refer to God's outgoing love which surpassed the limits of his own nature <coughs> um, this is seen in his uh, the son of God uh, taking on the human nature to be born and to die but also in his shining forth into the created world uh, to be known by us and uh, this is a light uh, as seen by Moses and the disciples uh, and also by many uh, Christians it's the 
permeation of the soul not by some created uh, grace that's sent down but by um, the uncreated grace which is God himself radiating into us uh, when we accept him it's the uh, transformation of the material world by divine grace such as happens in the case of relics um, we have a, a positive view of, of the material world as something created by God and that the whole of creation, material and immaterial, is able to be infused uh, by God's presence because he made the created world to be in communion with himself. And this is kind of the opposite of the scholastic view which seems to say that the material world, again coming probably from Aristotle, is, is somehow foreign to God and that we can't, uh, while we're in our bodies, we're not able to know God, uh, to see him directly. And this, <coughs> we only know him through, uh, the st through study of these created authorities. This different attitude to the body is part of also Barlaam's controversy with the monks. Uh, in the, again, in, this, in the scholastic world, the body is not important. It's an obstacle to God. We, it's our study that's important. Only in its particularly uh, philosophical education that makes the knowledge of God possible. The monks were not uh, philosophically educated people, and they, in the Christian tradition of Christian asceticism, the body is used uh, to help us to reach the knowledge of God. We, uh, even today, we use fasting and bowing as part of our worship. The acceptance of the creation of God as good means that this body that God created can be used for our spiritual benefit and that the worship of God involves the whole man just as the uh, communion with God also uh, permeates the whole man uh, sanctifying the body as well as the soul and so this was the kind of conflict between Gregory Palamas and uh, Barlam. The as it happened, the uh, a council was held at the time when Barlam made this attack in the year 1341. The council supported Gregory Palamas, and Barlam's uh, attack was rejected. As a result, Barlam uh, moved to Avignon uh, to the west and becomes a Roman Catholic and ultimately is appointed as a Catholic bishop and also uh, in his career was uh, teaching the uh, Renaissance uh, poet Petrarch uh, Greek. After Barlam's defeat um, there was further attacks against Gregory Palamas by those who questioned his uh, language of essence and energies as dividing the simplicity of God but when these matters were examined by councils it was found that in his expressions he wasn't uh, dividing God into parts but speaking of two aspects of God his unknowability and his uh, outpouring of love which uh, surpassed his, the limits of divinity but at the same time allowed uh, man to surpass the limits of humanity in coming into communion with God. The um, politics of the civil war that began uh, in 1341 after the death of the Andronicus, Emperor Andronicus III uh, prolonged uh, the controversy and Gregory Palamas was arrested uh, by the Patriarch for supporting his rival, the uh, Emperor, uh, well, John Cantacuzinus, who ultimately became emperor. But after the Civil War, the decisions of the earlier council will will, were reaffirmed, and Gregory Palamas uh, became an archbishop of Thessalonica. And his theology, ever since, has been considered the uh, uh, official theology of the Orthodox Church. It. Uh, the victory of Gregory Palamas 
did uh, alarm some of the uh, humanists who were interested in, in pagan philosophy. Uh, curiously, a number of humanists, such as the Cabasalis, uh, uh, Nicholas, and uh, Nilus, and and uh, <coughs> um, George Scalarius, uh, were interested in, in the uh, pagan philosophy, but at the same time acknowledged the theology of Gregory Palamas as being correct. But there were humanists who uh, rejected Palamas and who saw, came to see the Western scholastic movement as the uh, sort of best hope for the uh, study of, of Greek philosophy. They, uh, uh, Demetrius Kidonis, uh, who was John Cantacuzene's foreign minister and later served. Uh, Emperor John V and Manuel, Emperor Manuel II um, was involved in translating uh, Western scholastic works by uh, Anselm of Canterbury and Thomas Aquinas and even some of the works of Augustine. <coughs> they argued that the scholastics were more Greek than the Byzantines and in this they were correct because the at this time by Greek they meant pagan Greek and there, this revived interest in pagan Greece um, was at variance with the Christian church's rejection of many aspects of Greek philosophy so you have this contrast between the traditional Christianity and uh, the renewed interest in pagan philosophy and the Um, humanists in the in the East uh, began to identify with the scholastics and became uh, a party uh, supporting union with Rome and they ultimately became sort of known as the Lat Latina Frones or the Latin minded and as a result of this uh, not only many of them uh, joined the Catholic Church, but uh, such as Demetrius Kidonis, w working within the Byzantine government, uh, supported the Unionist uh, policies, which led to the Council of Florence in 1438, which uh, sought to uh, unite with Rome for the sake of gaining uh, material uh, military cooperation from the West, uh, to to support them against attacks from the Turks. Uh, Demetrius Kidonis himself converted <coughs> to Roman Catholicism in 1357, <coughs> along with and uh, his brother uh, Procor. There was also um, Manuel Calecus who died in 1410, and and Bessarion ultimately became a cardinal, uh, died in 1472. There was an, another side of uh, Byzantine humanists that, in a sense, just uh, returned to paganism, and uh, this is represented by George Gemistus um, Plethon, who also attended the Council of Florence and who died in 1452. Well, the scholastic movement in the East led to the to the Unionist Party that controlled the policies of the Byzantine state in the last years of the Byzantine Empire was ultimately the uh, Palamite uh, portion of the church that uh, pr ultimately prevailed in uh, preserving the patristic tradition of spirituality and communion with God in the Eastern Church uh, up to the present time. And many uh, influential uh, church leaders came out of this uh, besides uh, some patriarchs of, of Constantinople uh, also the uh, St. Sergius of Radonezh in Russia and the Hesychast movement uh, in the Slavic countries and on Mount Athos is uh, kind of a continuation of the uh, 
spiritual tradition of the fathers and uh, this is uh, kind of as a sort of heart of of the orthodox view of the world and, and the view of our relationship with God is that there is this uh, possibility of communion with God uh, not because uh, God is not transcendent he is transcendent but his uh, divine love uh, transcends his own transcendence and makes possible our salvation and our, our communion with himself and that this divine love uh, that God himself is able to transfigure uh, the created world insofar as we through repentance are able to uh, turn and be in communion with him this uh, is the heritage of the Orthodox Church and the heritage of the spiritual tradition at this time as we talked about today this is uh, where it is preserved while the West uh, turns to a sort of more Aristotelian system which uh, compartmentalizes us in this life away from God and kind of leads to a, a secular society and to a view of, of Christian theology as an academic exercise and uh, trivializes Christian spirituality in uh, the Orthodox world we speak of mystical theology and here that is that uh, that the mystical experience of union with God is necessary to theology and that theological knowledge um, is validated by this by our own uh, union with God but and it also must be validated by the union with God of the whole church and that our uh, this is where tradition is so important that 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 if we are truly uh, knowing God then our knowledge will be in conformity with those who have known God before us as this uh, as this unity of, of uh, spirituality and, and theology is uh, what is lost in the Western Christianity and ultimately uh, leads to a widespread agnosticism in the West. Okay. Well, thank you very much.